Welcome to My Autism Tribe, a community of advocates that are linked by autism but bound by strength. This is a time to find our sounding board and shoulders that help us carry life's load without the fear of criticism. We give and receive. We nurture and empower. I'm your host, Susan Scott. How often do you find yourself saying, my life is just chaotic? Will this ever end? Today's guest is a father and autism advocate that has worked tirelessly at not only creating a thriving home environment for his family, but many other families as well. Kyle Jetzel and his wife Shelley are the proud parents of six children, two of them being on the autism spectrum. He's going to share his story on how his family is actually thriving amidst the chaos. They are coaches, confidants, and they truly understand what it's like to be on the autism roller coaster. Over the past decade, they've developed strategies and techniques that have helped their family lower stress and have been able to get back the family life they wanted, a life filled with joy, happiness, and fun. It hasn't been easy, but they weren't afraid to work at it. Please welcome this inspiring guest, Kyle Jetzel. Kyle, I really just want to just take a moment just to thank you so much for just agreeing to be on this podcast. You're such an inspiring person, and we got the chance to talk a little bit yesterday, and I heard your personal story, and I just cannot wait for the listeners to hear your story. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I think this topic is one that absolutely every single listener can relate to in one way or the other. So why don't you kind of start off by sharing a little bit about your family, who you are, where you are, what you're doing. Yeah, so my name's uh, Kyle Jessel, and I'm the happily married for 28 years now, father of six kids. Uh, My oldest is 25, my oldest two are in college, and I have two sons in the middle of our family that are on the autism spectrum. Uh, Eric is now 20, and Ricky is 17. And I, and I actually have, uh, all my all my kids are boys except for my youngest, uh, who's a girl, and she's a twin, and they're 11 years old. So we've, uh, we've kind of experienced the full gamut of all those kind of things. My two sons are at different levels mm-hmm. of autism, and I don't, and I don't, there's a lot of different terms that, that are used, but, uh, uh, for us, I have a son that's at a level two, which is he needs uh, quite a bit of assistance, but he's he's minimally, or he can do a few things, and I think he'll he'll be able to accomplish some things uh, that we, you would normally see in life. But mm-hmm. we also have one that's a level three, which is he requires quite a bit of uh, of support and attention, and he is the one that uh, is the most challenging. That's sure. probably the best way to say it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he's so, the seventeen-year-old. Uh, He's our he's our twenty year old now. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's the twenty year old. So he's the older of our two on the spectrum. Um, and you know, after we had our two sons on the spectrum, and they were diagnosed. We kind of waited for a couple of years to have uh, more kids, but at that point, we had four sons, and my wife uh, came to me and said, "I think we need to try one more time for a girl." <laughs> <laughs> and, and luckily, we had twins. Luckily, one of those was a girl. Otherwise, I would have been in real. real <laughs> so, yeah, so we've got six kids. Uh, like I said, just a really uh, we consider ourselves to be in the top 1% of happy families and happy marriages because of, and I think a lot of that is because of the the things that we've learned through raising our kids on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you just constantly are learning different things. Um, and some of those things that you have to go through are challenging. And I know that you shared with me a lot of the challenges that you guys faced, you know, when receiving the diagnosis and kind of how you guys were able to move forward. And can you share a little bit about what the diagnosis, how would that affected your family and some of the challenges that it brought? Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, like we talked about a little bit yesterday, um, the diagnosis for us was quite a bit different, I think, than probably most autism parents. You know, a lot of autism parents, when they when they first get the diagnosis, it, it can really shock you and, and put you in a place that you're uncomfortable with initially. Mm-hmm. Well, for us, it was quite a bit different. Um, I grew up in a in a very stressful environment, uh, kind of uh, lower income in a bad neighborhood, and there was a lot of stress uh, around me and in my family as I grew up. And I, I saw the the damage it did to you know my parents and and my brothers and sisters and myself. Mm-hmm. And so when I as I grew up, I really wanted to have a family where you know there was a bubble of happiness over our home, right? And where there was little to no stress, and we really managed things in a way. That were that I could really kind of have that as as part of what we uh, classified our family as. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I first got married, I chose a wife who, uh, and maybe she chose me. Maybe that's a better way to say. I really wanted to marry someone. I'm kind of a, a bit of a bulldog, mm-hmm. right? Aggressive, ambitious, and so I had certain uh, tendencies that I knew I needed someone who was quite a bit calmer and more relaxed and re- would really balance me out. So. When my wife and I first got married, that's really what I wanted to to make sure that we were focused on. And and when we had our first two typical sons, we were kind of moving along okay, right? I mean, mm-hmm. obviously everybody has challenges, but we had a home where there was a lot of happiness and laughter and joy, and we felt like we were doing okay. And then our third son came along, and at about the age of two, two and a half, it just felt like, like all heck broke loose, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there was... Uh, overwhelming craziness and screaming and yelling and throwing of items and when he didn't get his way I mean there was really it was just really a, a new situation for us and and the stress started to just ramp up and and we realized pretty quickly you know initially I guess we thought we had lost all ability to parent we just thought for some reason you know everything we've tried before just is gone right and so we were really we were really concerned that uh, about what was going on. And so I remember uh, we were uh, talking to some people. And remember, this is about, you know, 18 years ago when autism wasn't so prevalent. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the only thing I knew about autism at that time was maybe uh, the only kind of autism I knew was maybe a child sitting in a wheelchair who was stimming and sure. maybe nonverbal. So for me, it was a brand new thing. Um, and then we had a, a teacher or a, a friend who was a teacher say, have you had him, ever had him looked at for maybe an autism diagnosis? Mm. And we were a little bit shocked initially, but, but excited to think that maybe there was a reason for all this stuff. So sure. when we took him in and, and he was diagnosed on the autism spectrum, I think for us it was, it was kind of a, we kind of, we kind of said, oh, well now we know, right? It was a relief, it was a relief to think that it's... now we knew what it was and now we could get our family back, right? We could, we know what to do to start to lower stress and really start to get some of that happiness back. And, uh, and it, but the problem is it didn't really work that way. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we, we did everything the experts said. We took him to their, you know, occupational therapy, speech therapies, ABA. We tried everything there absolutely was. 
uh, from sending his uh, sending his poop off to get yeah. to get uh, tested, right? To see if right. there was anything at all we could do, and we spent you know years and I mean thousands and thousands of dollars, and this was before really the government kind of uh, you know accepted that as a diagnosis and would help. So right. I mean we were going broke trying to figure this out, but with with in doing all that stuff, none of it really lowered stress. I mean there was still as he grew bigger and stronger, there were still horrible meltdowns. We kind of got caught in this, you know, what we call the autism roller coaster, right? Yeah. I'll never forget one day he, uh, I kind of, I worked with him for like two or three hours. And finally, uh, when when my wife Shelly came in, I, I talked to him and, and he said, I love you to his mom, right? Aww. Some of his first words. And we were like on cloud nine. And we thought, you know, this is, I, I can remember the overwhelming feeling of joy. Yeah. Well, less than a week later, in a in a fit of rage, he smashed his head through a plate glass window. Oh. And as I was holding him still in an emergency room to get him stitched up, I'm thinking, this is, it was, everything that good had happened was gone. Yeah. And all I could think about was the, was the, how difficult our lives were and how this was going to be difficult for us. And I think, really for us, the tipping point, you know, and we struggled. My wife and I's relationships started to, into disrepair and my relationship with my two older sons started to fall apart because we were kind of walking around on eggshells afraid mm-hmm. of you know melting down a six-year-old right we were just so afraid that we didn't do anything anymore we didn't take him anywhere uh you know if he started melting down we started pointing fingers at who did this who did what you know and right. it could have just been a lego a lego piece that he couldn't find and so uh kind of our tipping point as a family uh was on a Saturday morning and we were, we woke up to him screaming like a blood curdling scream at probably 6.30 a.m. in the morning. Mm -hmm. And he had the worst meltdown ever. And every time we thought we would get him calmed down, he would ramp back up and it lasted like, you know, four hours or something. Mm -hmm. And I can remember at the end of it, we were so exhausted, my wife and I and all of our kids were scared to death in their rooms. And we finally got him calmed back down and, and then you know, the worst thing possible could happen, we turned on each other, my wife and I. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't remember who started it or what happened, but, you know, one of us probably said, you know, if you would have just done this instead of that, maybe you wouldn't have. And then, you know, then it becomes a, a battle of who did what, right? Well, if you wouldn't treat him this way and, you know, if you wouldn't coddle him, that's what I said to my wife. She said, well, you're too hard on him, right? And all this stuff just boiled over. Right. And so, and this fight was a fight that just kept going on and on. And so, you know, I... I at some point, I thought, this is not stopping. This is not, it's just not getting better. So I, I just walked out the front door, and I had my keys in my pocket. And I remember looking at my car and thinking, you know what? This is not the life I signed up for. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing I can do. I'm leaving, and I'm not coming back. Yeah, wow. And I was, you know, when you're put in that situation, there's so much stress. You just, you just don't know what to do. You've tried everything. You feel alone and like you don't have any options. Yeah. And at that moment, I remember uh, a lesson my dad had taught me when I was probably 13 or 14. We had I was playing in a baseball game, mm-hmm. and uh, the ball was hit to me, and all I had to do was make one out, and I messed up. And the other team started hitting and scoring, and they, they won the game, and, and I felt like I lost the game. So I went to my dad, and I said, you know what, I wish they hadn't hit the ball to me. Mm-hmm. because maybe we could have won. Oh. And my dad said, you know what? That's not the way we do things, Kyle. We fight. We're going to make mistakes, but we never go down without the biggest fight 
if it's important, you do everything you can to to resolve and work hard and make things happen for yourself. You control, you know, what happens in your life. And so that that lesson kind of hit me square between the eyes at that moment. So I thought, well, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And you know, then I, I I did another thing that my father had taught me, and uh, we have a big pecan tree in our front yard, and we did. Mm-hmm. And so I went and kneeled under that pecan tree and just prayed. Yeah. And I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew that I shouldn't leave my family. I knew I needed to be there. And, you know, I don't remember what I prayed about or, you know, exactly what happened, but I do remember a, a real clear feeling that I got that was, you know what, Kyle, the problem isn't your wife and it's not your son on the spectrum and it's not your kids. The problem is you. Mm-hmm. And initially I was just absolutely shocked by this, right? It couldn't be me. Right. I mean, I was, I was doing everything <laughs> and, you know, but, I, I took that to heart and I said, you know what, if if we're going to solve this problem, and I want to, and we're going to have a happy family, it's up to me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at that moment, I, I went back inside, and I think my wife might have seen me uh, under that tree. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, first thing I did was apologize. I, I knew I had said and done some things. And I said, I'm, I want to fight for our happiness, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And, and I think that was the moment where we realized that we had been, the happiness in our family was our responsibility, and we had been passing it off to these other specialists and experts, thinking somehow they were going to to fix him or, you know, a- increase his ability to communicate to a point where, you know, this kind of stuff wouldn't happen anymore. And that, that was the moment where we decided to, cr- to craft a plan mm-hmm. to really uh, focus on lowering stress and, and really enjoying the life that we had. And, and and that was the day, really, that it all changed for us. And it was a slow process, but ultimately, that was our that's kind of our, our story of how we kind of got to where we decided that was it. We couldn't live like this. Yeah, it's it's amazing when you have those tipping points, and you can look back and say that was the day, that was the time when the paradigm shift started to happen. And we need those points. Actually, they are helpful for us because then it causes us to reflect back at what's not working so that we can revise that we can edit that to fix, you know, to make it something that is working. And thankfully, you have an incredible wife, Shelly, that's your teammate that you can look to and she can look to you and say, you know, in every challenge that you have and say, okay, what we're going to, what are we going to do about it? So what were some of the, the strategies that you guys started implementing into your family? You know, that's, that's a great question. I think, and, and probably what I ought to suggest to you here is because, um, I think it's important to, to, to note here that at that point in our relationship, she had lost trust in me. Mm. And, you know, I thought she was the problem and she probably thought I was the problem. I would bet if you asked her, she would tell you I was the problem, right? Yeah. Because of, of who I was at that moment. And so it really took a, a lot of time. I can remember one time I I found a strategy that I thought would work and I shared it with, with her and she said, that won't work. That's mm. right. And I was really disappointed. And, and so I thought, what can I do? I think the strategy will work if she'll help me. And so, you know, what I did was I, I took it and wrote it out on a piece of paper and I stuck it in an autism book. Mm-hmm. 
that I didn't, it had nothing to do with me. And so I walked over to her and I opened it, the autism book, to my sheet of paper that I had written and she couldn't see that. And I said, hey, Shelly, I found this strategy. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And when I read it to her, she said, oh, I think that's a great idea. I said, can we do that together, right? And I realized at that point that, and, and that sounds manipulative, but, you know, she knows about it now. So yeah. but the idea was that she had lost so much trust in me, she wouldn't listen to anything I said. And I kind of had problems listening to what she said. And so it really, you, you know, you really have to start at a point where you realize there's some, you don't have a lot of trust in each other because, you know, I was yeah. the problem. That's what, was what she was thinking. And so That's it took me a while to build enough trust back up and, and uh, until we started to really create some strategies that, that helped us and our family. And there's a couple of things that really jumped out at me as we started to, to work and create our own personal curriculum as a family. Mm-hmm. And that was this. There was really three key things that we discovered. One was, I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up in a perfect family, right? Right. <laughs> right. I don't and, think there is came, a perfect family I, out there. I, I, I know, and I came into this thing with certain preconceived notions and things in my past that made me make decisions that may not have been helpful. Mm-hmm. Right for my family or for me or for my kids on the spectrum, and so I really had to. to we really had to kind of create this little process we called making your past an asset. Right, we kind of had to look at some of the decisions we were making and why, mm-hmm. and and kind of realize that some of our past experiences had given us the wrong thought processes. Right, and so we had to to rethink how we started to to move forward, and, and a lot of that is just looking into what we had done or how we had been taught. And really kind of reformulating, uh, you know, how our past, in some cases, our past can hold us back. Yeah. And we kind of had to, we had to really take that and kind of flip it so that, that we learned that our past, if we learn the right lessons from our past, they can propel us forward. So exactly. that was the, one of the first things we learned. Uh, the second thing was what we called, and, and our program is called Thriving Chaos, right? It's really easy to talk about what we should do when things get hard. Mm-hmm. Not not so easy to do it right. when things get hard. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so, and so what we had to do was come up with strategies that we could learn that were very easy, that would tip us, you know, triggers that would tip us into the right, uh, the right state, the right mentality when things got escalated, right? You mm-hmm. know, sometimes you're just exhausted and that's when, you know, your buttons are pushed and you can get, you can lose control and that really doesn't help anything. So... Mm-hmm. When things got really hard, we realized we had to be at our very best for them. And mm-hmm. so we created strategies that basically when things started going wrong, we would tip into these these states of happiness and joy and patience so that we could get through the difficult moments a lot quicker and really minimize those moments and the stress that we caused as a family. Mm-hmm. And then the, the third thing that really became apparent to us was that we needed hope, right? We, yeah. I mean... Uh, anybody can do something for a day or a, maybe a week or maybe a month. But when you talk about years or decades, mm-hmm. it can be a little, you know, it can be a little hurtful right. to your heart. And so, yeah. so we created what we called uh, creating a, a compelling future. And we started to create these things that we could see down the road that really gave us hope and it inspired us to continue to work hard. And ultimately, it was just about really, you know, understanding that um, we want... Ultimately, we want our kids to fulfill their their potential, whatever mm-hmm. that may be. And putting them in an environment uh, that we can do that is just the most valuable 
important thing we can do for our kids. And one of the ways we can do that is really to lower stress, to put them in a home where they know they're loved Mm -hmm. uh, and where they feel that love, right? Even when they have meltdowns uh, or even when they have difficult moments, they need to know that we love them and they feel that love and they're going to reach that potential if they feel free to be themselves and and accomplish those things. Yes, absolutely. Wow. And I think compassion fatigue is a very real thing because I think that it's really easy to kind of slip back into a a dark place when you start dwelling on all of all of the challenges that are circling you, all of the chaos, you, you know, you you ask yourself, will this ever end kind of thing? And when you start realizing that there is hope. And there are those rays of sunshine that get through the clouds, maybe not as often as you'd like, but that's what provides the hope. And I know that my son Alex, he knows when there's tension or, you know, he can feel that. And I think you made a really important note that it's kind of like when things are at their worst is when you need to be at your best. And sometimes that's difficult. But you can do it, and it is worth it. <laughs> it really is. You know, we, uh, I think one of the things that we, we tend to not do as much as we should is celebrate. Yeah. You know, there's, there's scientific proof that if you celebrate, even if there's little small celebrations, mm-hmm. that it's going to really, it's going to improve your, your happiness and your state. And, and sometimes those celebrations can be as simple as, you know, I'll never forget when we, we finally potty trained my oldest on the spectrum. He was nine years old, mm-hmm. right? And I, I'll never forget the, it, we finally, and I remember my wife and I just celebrating like it was, you would have thought we won the lottery, right? <laughs> yeah. Because, because we, and that was important for us, but also the little things, you know, the little small things that we should let just let us let it fill us up right Mm -hmm. and if we can let those little things fill us up on a consistent basis i think we're going to have much much more success i I remember when my boys were younger um when they were really good i used to take them over to the you know the corner gas station and let them buy candy Mm -hmm. right they each get their own package of candy and this was a great treat for them and they would walk they would spend half an hour sifting through every package of candy right yeah it, it, it can wear on your patience. We're like, I'm like, pick one, right? But no, they got to take their time, right? And so we got up to the front desk and, uh, you know, to check out. And one of my two boys had gummy frogs mm-hmm. with marshmallow backs, right? Yeah. And, and the guy, the guy behind the counter looked at him and said, oh, you got some gummy frogs. Mm-hmm. And my son screamed at him. I mean, like, I love gummy frogs. He just screamed <laughs> in his face. And I think it scared the gentleman behind the counter, but it made me realize how much joy he got from that simple experience. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? If if he's going to experience that much joy, I'm going to let it soak me up too, right? I'm going to experience it too. And so, you know, just talking about it now, I'm re-experiencing that feeling. Yeah. And it's lifting me. And I think it's important for us to find those moments where we see because, man, they experience joy like nobody. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, my, my boys, when they're happy, they are happier than anybody I've ever seen. And sometimes it's as simple as gummy frogs, you know? Sure. So I think it's important for us to find those moments and let them fill us. Because we're going to need that to be refilled consistently to really, you know, maintain those states that are important to them. Yeah, that's the fuel, 
right? That's the feel, absolutely. And something that you had mentioned yesterday when we were speaking briefly is that you and your family have also been using the whole technique of saying, oh, this is going to make for a good story. And I thought that that was awesome. And can you share with everybody your little story? I think it was one of your sons uh, on a playground. Yeah, Yeah, so, you know, when my son was uh, still in diapers, and he was probably eight, we had an incident at church one Sunday. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had, uh, we were sitting in in the chapel, and you could smell him, right? So my wife looked at me with that look like... uh, I smell it, you smell it, go change him, right? Yeah. So I'm a good man. <laughs> so, so I walked him out, and we went to the bathroom, and you know those little flip-down trays that you put your children on to change yeah. them? Well, they're not designed for eight-year-olds. Right. Right? So I'm, I don't, he's big, and I don't want to break it. I don't want him to fall. There's a lot of bad things that can happen. So I'm, I'm really paying attention to how stressed it is. I'm you know, I'm, ch- I'm changing him, and he gets to where he fights me. And you know how when you when you change a newborn, and they arch their back, they, like, weigh ten times more? Yeah. Well, so he's pulling that move, and I'm getting aggravated, and I'm trying to change him, and I'm frustrated. But I'm staying in there. You know, I'm working, I'm working, I'm sweating him in my, in my church clothes, and I'm all sweaty, and I'm changing. <laughs> and I finally get him done, and I walk back in, and as I walk in and I get to the end of the pew, I look at my wife, and I see a kind of a look of horror on her face. <laughs> And I think, oh, no, what happened? Yeah. Well, while I was changing him, he had urinated all down the front of my <laughs> pants leg. And I was I was wearing khaki pants. Yeah. And so I had a, you know, a foot wide. My one leg was brown. Yeah. With, with urine. <laughs> and so I remember sitting down just defeated. Yeah. I mean, I just thought, uh, what, you know, I just sat there and I was sweaty and stink. You know, it was this horrible experience for me. Mm-hmm. And I remember a couple days later... I made the mistake of telling my brother this story. Yeah. And as I was telling him, he started laughing so hard, right? Yeah. And I said, it's not funny. And he said, oh, you, it is funny. Well, the more I told him, the more he laughed, and I found myself laughing too. Yeah. And, and it really kind of surprised me. I thought, you know what? If I'm going to laugh later at those experiences, and, I, and, and we do when we tell experiences that were difficult later on, generally we smile. Because mm-hmm. we got through them, right? They weren't as bad as we thought they were. Right. And I thought, if I'm going to laugh later, why can't I find the joy in it while it's happening? Why can't I see the humor in it? And so it, I became this guy that would say, instead of, you know, uh, they would do something crazy or wacky in public, I would say, oh, no, right? Yeah. Instead of that, I would say, well, you know what? That's going to make a great story. <laughs> I, would really, I really started to, to see the, the humor in it and the zaniness and how, you know, awkward it was. Mm-hmm. And I started to enjoy that, and I really never realized that it was bleeding over into my other family members until we were at a, a Burger King playland one day, mm-hmm. and my two sons on the spectrum were upside, up in the playland, and my son was at the very top, he took his pants off and slid them down the slide without him in it. <laughs> yeah. And so I see, this, I see this shadow come down the slide, and, and it gets to the bottom, it's his pants, and I look at the very top, and he's at the very top standing up there naked. <laughs> And my oldest son immediately said, that's going to make a great story, Dad. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Right? Instead of being embarrassed or frustrated or angry or saying, we got to take him home, we can't take him anywhere, you know, we managed it. My, my son climbed up in there and put his pants back on. And we, we, as a family, even as other people were staring at us, looking at us like we were bad parents, we were grinning from ear to ear. Yeah. 
And and that experience is one now. We've been to Burger King Playland hundreds of times. That's the one we remember with the most happiness and joy in our lives. Mm. And so, you know, really when we take that approach, uh, that it's okay. If things happen and we can and we can see the the joy or the wackiness or zaniness and realize that's who they are. Yeah. And we should let them feel free to be those people that, and again, you know, he grew out of that, thank goodness, before he got to a certain age. <laughs> but, but the idea that it's, it's just so horrific and people are staring and when we focus on those things, it can bring us down. But when we focus on our kids and their happiness and their joy, you know, we, it can really lift us and, and it can really carry us a long way. Oh, such a lesson in life. For sure, for everyone, Kyle. I, I wish I could talk to you for hours on end, and I certainly, I certainly do want to do follow ups with you because I think you are on to something so much greater, and just your stories are so inspiring. And I am going to put all of your follow information and in the show notes. Um, so. For anyone that's interested in hearing more of Kyle's story, please, you know, look at the show notes and and follow him. And just you're so inspiring. I just can't thank you enough, Kyle. And I am just so proud that you're part of my autism tribe. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been so much fun. And I'd love to come back. And, yeah, you know, if, if there's any way we can help your, your community, if there's anything we can do, yeah. You know, we are, one of the things that my wife and I talked about at one point is is really one of the things that makes our heads explode with excitement mm-hmm. is, you know, it's not a, it's it's great to have a family that's thriving and, and living and has lower stress and is really enjoying their lives. But when we see other families start to implement these things mm-hmm. and we see their happiness, our heads explode with excitement. And so, yeah. you know, if there's any way we can, we can share that message or help those families uh, reach out to us let us know we want to help and we know that you know implementing the right things any family can do it, it doesn't matter the diagnosis it doesn't yeah. matter where you're at it doesn't matter if you're you've got a big family or a small family if you're a single parent if you can't get help from your spouse it doesn't matter if you you can do it personally and you can make a change that starts to bleed into everybody else so we're here to help let us know how we can help oh that's awesome well kyle I just wish nothing but the best for you and your family. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate what you're doing. You know, I do want to share one thing with you mm-hmm. personally. I heard one of your podcasts. I, I listened to your podcast, obviously, and I heard one where you said that progress has never been made in history without those voices that spark tidal waves. Yeah. And I love that. <laughs> it really struck a chord with me because, you know, we all have we all have different experiences. And by sharing these experiences, even if they're painful, you know, even if even if they go against what everybody else says, sharing those experiences can help other people. And that's really how, you know, we can make a change for our families and for our kids on the spectrum. So thank you so yeah. much for what you do. Thank you so much, Susan. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for saying that. I appreciate it. Raising children on the autism spectrum can be really hard. The chaos can sometimes feel overwhelming. Perhaps there are times you feel that your home is like a combat zone. But it doesn't have to be that way. Now is the time to really roll up your sleeves, dig deep, and help your family get a whole new, better life that everyone deserves. We are here for you, for support, love, and encouragement. Thanks for being a part of my autism tribe, and thanks for listening to the inspirational message of Kyle Jetzel. I'll see you next week.